0: from Tel Aviv, two nice Jewish boys, Aeson Weinstein and Naor Minninger. And now, once again, we're live from Jerusalem. Hello, Hello, Ethan.
1: Hello. You caught me by surprise. Sorry, yeah. Four score and seven years ago is a phrase that has been ingrained in American collective consciousness for over a century and a half. Abraham Lincoln chose these words to open his historic Gettysburg Address in 1863, commemorating one of the harshest battles of the Civil War, but could Lincoln have been inspired by the words of Sabato Morais, the Jewish leader of the Mikveh Israel congregation, who had uttered these very words four months earlier while addressing his congregants in Philadelphia? Apparently, it's a possibility. From Abraham Jonas, a lawyer who Lincoln described as his most valued friend, to Issachar Zachary, a mysterious spying foot doctor, Lincoln's list of Jewish friends was not a short one. Here to talk to us about this is Professor Jonathan Sarna. Professor Sarna is the Professor of American Jewish History at Brandeis University in Massachusetts. His latest book, Lincoln and the Jews, is a fascinating account of the 16th American president's relationship with Judaism and the Jewish people. Hi, Professor. Hello,
0: Professor. Thank you so much for being here with Pleasure us. Pleasure to be with you. So uh, today's actually, it's a special episode because um, it happens to coincide with Lincoln's tw- 208th birthday, right? Uh, on Sunday, coming 12th, Sunday. right. Yeah.
2: February the 12th.
1: It's quite a coincidence.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, we we want to think that there's
1: serendipity here, but you know maybe we're just reaching.
0: Uh, and congr- congratulations for this beautiful book. It's it's a piece of art. You know, it's not just a book. It's it's. I think every Jewish household uh, should have it. Well, should thank own you, it. and
2: I, I really should give credit to my uh, co-author Benjamin Chappelle, who had much to do with uh, ensuring. That uh, the design would be beautiful, and that many of the documents uh, would be uh, displayed and preserved in this wonderful uh, mm-hmm. fashion,
1: yeah, and it's such a rich collection of documents and we'll get we want to get to that later too, but I want to ask you, we mentioned it in the beginning what what is the possibility actually that Abraham Lincoln got those words
2: well, I mean it is fascinating that Rabbi Morais, he called himself Reverend Morais, actually on July 4th, Mm -hmm. uh, in the midst of the battle, which is not so far away from Philadelphia. After all, it's in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And fascinatingly, July 4th is also the Jewish fast day of Shiva Asar Tammuz, the 17th of Tammuz, and he gives um, uh, an address in which he wonders, is it going to be July 4th and celebration? Is it going to be Shiva Sarbat Tammuz and destruction? And he uses as part of that, uh, because it is July 4th, The phrase four score and seven, which, of course, was adopted from the King James translation of the Psalms. Just Mm -hmm. speak
0: closer to the mic, please. Directly to the mic. Um, What, what of
2: course, I don't know is whether Abraham Lincoln saw a copy Mm -hmm. of that sermon, but the sermon was published in uh, The Jewish Messenger, which was a uh, Jewish newspaper at the time. And we definitely know that other sermons by Sabato Moraes were um, uh, sent sent to Abraham Lincoln. Um, So that's what we know. But many have tried to come up with earlier references to four score and Seven, nobody's ever found it until we found it in Sabato Moraes's address, address which um, has the great advantage of being an address that he delivered while the battle is actually going on. Right, Mm -hmm. right.
0: Um, I want to ask you though, because we know that in America of the early 19th century, uh, there weren't so many Jews in the United States. Um, so, as Lincoln grew up, uh, was, it was in uh, Kentucky, mm-hmm. right? Um, what was his, uh, how, was he familiar, familiarized with Jews? Did he know Jews? Did he know of Jews?
2: Uh, it's a wonderful question. I think that in the years that he's growing up in Kentucky and Indiana, the Jews he knew were in the Bible. Uh, he knew his Bible inside out, his parents were deeply religious, mm-hmm. and education in his day was all about the Bible, but those were the Jews he knows. Um, very few biblical. Jews in those, right, mythical Jews, yeah. we might say, uh, very few Jews in those areas, The Jewish community as a whole begins to grow significantly from 1820 to 1860. In round numbers, there are 3,000 Jews in all of the United States in 1820. There are 150,000 in 1860. That's a huge growth. It's amazing. And so Abraham Lincoln begins to encounter Jews when he moves to Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, and there uh, we know quite a few Jews, and actually in the book we have a chart of Jews whom he encountered. Certainly uh, uh, the pers- uh, the clothiers were Jews. But uh, as you pointed out, um, uh, his good friend Abraham, Jonas, a lawyer, a politician, is um, also Jewish, and uh, so he has begun to meet Jews uh, really for the second half of, of his foreshortened life.
1: Now the, this jump in population, because it's fascinating. I mean, for three thousand to one hundred and fifty thousand, that's quite of influx of Jewish of Jews into America. And from from your book, you understand that it, it, a large part of it was uh, something that influenced it was the the failed eighteen forty eight uh, um, revolutions, uh, revolutions right. in Europe. So I wonder,
2: and these Jews, they left that because of persecution. Well, you. The, the growth of immigration is, of course, always complicated. Why do people move? Uh, some of it is simply opportunity mm-hmm. in America, which led all sorts of non-Jews from Central Europe, likewise, to immigrate. Some of it is oppression because Jews come at a rate much higher greater than non-Jews, and whenever the Jewish migration is at a higher rate than the non-Jewish, you can be sure Jews are coming for reasons of their own. There are significant anti-Jewish laws in the German states, in many cases designed to restrict the growth of the Jewish population. In uh, Bavaria, there are actually laws preventing many Jews from marrying in order to ensure that the Jewish population not grow. And of course, all of that led to emigration. Uh, And then on top of it, you had liberal Jews who take part in the failed 1848 revolutions and uh, then make their way uh, to the United state. in in So
0: they come to the States and are they greeted in the
2: spirit of the Constitution? or? <laughs> in those days, America was filled with immigrants. Um, there has never been a time when there weren't some Americans who wanted to keep aliens out. Uh, the famous example in the 19th century our anti-Catholic, uh, are anti-Catholic efforts, so-called know-nothings and so on on um, uh, anti-Irish, even some laws. But um, Jews, especially Jews who were prepared to move towards the West, could find wonderful opportunities. This was the new frontier. Everybody in Illinois had come from someplace else except for the Native Americans. And um, it's not a surprise, I think, that lots of Jews do spread out across the country where opportunities lay. Uh, But not without anti-Semitism. There's certainly uh, anti-Semitism. I don't think it's greater, perhaps it's less than anti-Catholicism in that period. And the interesting thing is you also have philo-Semitism, that is there are Protestants who are excited by meeting Jews. A little like evangelists? Some would try to convert Jews, Uh but others were very proud uh, to have a synagogue, and we know that some synagogues were actually assisted by non-Jews. Then as now, I think Americans were of various different views on immigration, but there certainly were plenty of Jews who came to America to improve their lot economically, politically, socially, and actually they did. And in one generation, many of them moved up and had memories. Oh, we started as peddlers, and now uh, look uh, how we have been able to succeed.
0: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: So there's Abraham Jonas, who you mentioned, is one of his, you know, in the book also. Uh, you name as one of his greatest friends. Who 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 is this guy, and wh- how did how did Lincoln meet him?
2: Abraham Jonas. Um, Just speak to the mic, please. Abraham Jonas is um, actually from England. His brother Joseph Jonas uh, is remembered as the first longtime Jewish resident of Cincinnati, Ohio. This is a very traditional Jewish family from England. Um, Abraham comes to America, originally to Cincinnati, uh, then a great tragedy happened. They married two daughters of the great minister of Sheriff Israel, the Spanish and Portuguese synagogue in New York, Reverend Gershom Mendes They married two of his daughters, meaning each brother marries a daughter, and then both of those daughters die in the frontier of Cincinnati. Abraham takes this particularly hard he moves away uh, initially to kentucky uh but eventually <coughs> god bless you excuse me no problem eventually he comes to you want a glass uh, of water uh, uh to illinois and Becomes a lawyer and politician in Illinois, mm-hmm. and uh, that's how he meets Abraham Lincoln, who of course is also a lawyer and politician. Right, a uh, self-taught Illinois. lawyer. Yes, uh, but many lawyers at that time um, read law in books, worked with a lawyer apprenticed, right, and then, um, and then put out their shingle. It wasn't so unusual uh, in that era before the great American law schools. Right, right. Um, and so as as
0: Lincoln um, becomes more and more uh, a public persona, um, he finds himself involved with more and more Jews and somehow the connections between the Jews and his, his um, route to the White House, uh, it becomes integrated,
2: right? I think that... First of all, the fact that Lincoln knows Jews at this young age is very important. When people know folks of uh, somewhat look down upon religion or race, they tend to be more tolerant toward them. Lincoln didn't have to believe stereotypes about Jews. He knew Jews personally and uh, befriended them. So that's the most important thing. The more Lincoln meets Jews, the more he gets to know and especially respect uh, rather liberal Jews um, who were strongly Mm anti-slavery and uh, who were involved in this new Republican Party. Um, Which he represented in a way. Exactly, which he's also part of. They join him. Now, that's a small percentage of all the Jews, but uh, he thinks that that's uh, in a way what Jews are like. Uh Uh, Perhaps had he been in New York, where there were plenty of Jews in the clothing trade who who, uh, clothed the slaves in the South, and who were much more politically conservative and democratic, maybe would have had a different view. But given that he's in the Midwest and friendly with Jonas and meets other um, uh, liberal Jews, he imagines that uh, these are the Jews. Represent. Representative Mm -hmm. Jews, exactly. He's very impressed with them. But the most important thing is that he learns that they're people like any other people. And what is amazing really about Lincoln is uh, that he judges people as individuals, not as groups. He's prepared to call Abraham Jonas Mm -hmm. a Jew, my friend. He's prepared to call Frederick Douglass a former slave, my friend, this in an era when most people would not call an African-American uh, my friend. So, so what, how do we explain that? Well, I think it's because he was committed to the idea that people should be judged as individuals, not on the basis of groups. Mm-hmm. He was appalled, really, at anti-Catholicism mm-hmm. and has a magnificent uh, quote, um uh, about his opposition to the know-nothings, in his view, that really was not what America was all about. Right. Uh, he took seriously the Declaration of Independence and the idea of liberty and justice for all. He internalized that. Uh, And he tried to live it um, as best he could.
0: And also you write in a book that he cherished and and was um, very familiar. He knew the Bible, the Old Testament, very very thoroughly, which was not that common back then, right?
2: Um, Americans are moving, some of them, from a more focus on... What we would call, uh, what they would call, the Old Testament to the New Testament, because abolitionists, anti, some anti-slavery people, said, "Oh, the Old Testament is full of slaves." Mm-hmm. Uh, but Abraham Lincoln had been raised um, in a, a religious uh, environment where the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament in its English translation, was central. He was very proud that he and most of his relatives bore Old Testament names, in his case, Abraham. um, And he knew the Bible inside out. Over and over while we were researching this book, we would realize that one or another phrase that just popped out of Lincoln was really a Biblical phrase, right? Um, and it any, was rooted in his language. Absolutely rooted, and in some cases, he will take unusual biblical phrases and really develop them. And anyone who reads his great addresses, um, his second inaugural, above all, will see. Um, this amazing use of the Bible, more really than by any other American, and that's why he was such a powerful orator.
1: I wonder, because we do know that in the Old Testament, there's uh, in Judaism, there's a concept of slavery, and there is, you know, owning slaves, and there's laws that are laid out in the Old Testament on how to own a slave. And if uh, Abraham Lincoln was so familiar with the Old Testament. Did he ever have to, do we have record of him ever having to reconcile these things?
2: Well, of course, there was a tremendous dispute about the Bible and slavery, and Lincoln actually talks about the fact that both read the same Bible, meaning pro-slavery and anti-slavery read the same Bible. Um, There was a rabbi named Morris Rafal, Um, in that right before the Civil War, who argued that everybody should observe the biblical approach to slavery. Yes, there can be slaves, but slaves have to be well-treated. They shouldn't be badly treated, as too often they were in the South. And he thought that uh, perhaps... That would be a compromised position, but, of course, from the perspective of abolitionists, including many Jews, uh, slavery was unethical completely, and just because slavery is mentioned in the Bible doesn't mean it is within the spirit of uh, divine work. Uh, If, after all, we are created in God's image, his opponent said, how can you reconcile that with slavery and with Mm -hmm. the enslavement of human beings? Uh, Abraham Lincoln has a long and torturous route to his own um, emergence as an out-and-out abolitionist, While he's opposed to the spread of slavery, uh, it took a while before he came out against slavery everywhere, Mm -hmm. and that only happens in the war. By the end of the war, by uh, 1864, he has become persuaded, it seems, that the terrible losses in the Civil War, the immense number of killed and injured people is really God's punishment of America mm-hmm. for the sin of slavery and... Uh, he says that, right? Every drop that, of blood but,
1: from the lash will be
0: paid by a drop of blood from exactly the sword. Right. Yeah. And yet, Jews did own uh, slaves. Jew- and the, mm-hmm. th- there was a connections between Jews, the Democratic Party, and slavery, right?
2: You can find um, every position within the Jewish community from anti-slavery to extensive support of slavery and, indeed, ownership of slaves. Right. So, uh, the Southern, a very significant Confederate leader named Judah Benjamin, who's eventually Secretary of State of the Confederacy, um, owns a plantation with many slaves. Um,
0: but and- even if they didn't own slaves... Um- You say in the book that more than 70% of the Jews back then supported the Democratic Party. And when you supported the Democratic Party, you supported slavery.
2: Well, some of those who supported the Democratic Party didn't themselves own slaves, many, and wouldn't themselves abort it, but they felt rather than have a civil war, which would kill so many people, let's just leave slavery alone Of course, there were other people who wanted to extend slavery. America's moving west. They wanted to move slavery west as well. Uh, And that's one of the reasons that Abraham Lincoln emerges in politics. But I wanted to say in, in the 1860s, Jews resembled their neighbors for better and for worse. Sometimes just following in the ways of your neighbor gets you in trouble. And many of their neighbors said, you know, uh, let's uh, not get involved in this issue. And there were Jews who followed that. There were Jews who made money off slavery and certainly didn't want to endanger their clothing businesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there were Jews who found slavery a violation of every ethic that they held dear. So
1: you uh, bring up in your book a fascinating figure (laughs) who we both kind of were just amazed by. Um, Somewhat enigmatic. I mean, it's very uh, shady what's happening there. It's not quite uh, understood. But Issachar Zachary, this uh, spy foot doctor, (laughs) which is quite fascinating. But who, can you tell us
2: a little bit about this guy? I mean, uh, he is really an amazing figure. Uh, In those days, they called it a... A uh, chiropodist was the name for a foot doctor. Um, he probably does more to advance chiropody than anybody else in his day because uh, how he learned it, nobody really knows. But he <laughs> was able to do painless a chiropody and to make people's feet feel a lot better, and you have to remember... This that, was an
0: issue back there.
2: Well, well, you know, cars didn't exist. People walked a lot more. Right. And not only didn't cars exist, but it had not yet been discovered that the best way to keep your feet uh, is to have well-fitted shoes that are the right size. Not to that mention wa- socks. And right, none of that was really well understood. So, uh, you know, if you wear your left shoe on your right foot and vice versa and you don't wear socks, you'll need a chiropodist too. So it's not a surprise. (laughs) Yeah, that's perfect. That um, Issachar Zachary, who was so very skilled, um, uh, is prized. He's made a reputation for himself in New York and with the outbreak of war where you've got soldiers who are going to be marching for miles. The idea was maybe we need a chiropodist for the military.
0: He also pl- plagiarized? How do you say it? Pla- plagiarized. Plagiarized. Yeah, yeah, we
2: know that his books... <laughs> uh, I mean, he certainly uh, had a big sense of himself, Issachar Zachary, but I've got to imagine, because dozens and dozens of testimonials survive, attesting to he his kept a book of, and his good work, yeah, he kept them, Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and now my co-author Benjamin Chappelle, owns them. Those proved that he was very good. And Lincoln. he
0: used them and leveraged them to get higher and right. higher, and in a very skillfully. Right. <laughs> and eventually, Lincoln and, and Grant. Eventually, and...
2: it's recommended. You know, Abraham Lincoln had famously painful uh, feet. I,
0: yeah, I imagine like Lincoln sitting sitting in his office, and like for weeks he gets recommendations about a foot doctor. A foot doctor, so he's like, "The hell with that! Bring me that foot doctor!"
2: Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> like, uh, and, okay, okay, I uh, will
0: accept him. Let's see what he has, has to has offer. To do.
2: And and it's really uh, amazing because we have these testimonials. And you can see, initially, Lincoln is a little careful. <laughs> yeah. And as time goes on, uh, he's more and more enthusiastic. Right. And one of the ways that a good foot doctor makes sure that it's not too painful is actually to chat up his patients. That's still true today. The, uh-huh. You, you uh, talk to your patients. Almost their, hypnotized, mind is, yeah. their mind isn't on what you're doing to their feet. So Issachar Zachary seems to have been very good at that, and Lincoln and he clearly became good friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, He saw Lincoln a lot, and Lincoln grows to trust him, knows that he's Jewish with his name. Everybody knew that, Mm -hmm. and uh, eventually, Lincoln decides to use him as a conduit yeah, he probably he pushed yeah.
0: pushed himself there. He probably yeah. offered himself to do some special missions. Uh, and no planted question. this idea.
2: no and 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 so he goes out and uh, uh, you know he uh, in New Orleans, where you had a significant Jewish community, Abraham Lincoln believes, oh, we'll send my Jewish representative. That'll bring them back into the Union. Uh, he'll be able to influence them in a way that I cannot. This was a very old idea of of, of using a kind of Jewish intermediary in that mm-hmm. way. And uh, we know that Zachary also was supposed to do a little bit of spying, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which he also does. Um, and then, you know, he gets uh, into his head, maybe he can solve the whole Civil War, and become rich and famous. That doesn't work out, but we know that he had a secret meeting with Judah Benjamin. Uh, you have this memory of here, Issachar Zachary, a Jew from the North who knows Lincoln, Judah Benjamin, the most important Jew in the Confederacy meeting, and they're going to solve the problem. <laughs> yeah, It's an amazing to story, mastermind. which had never really been uh, told before. Um, and all the documents exist, so it doesn't happen, and like most other efforts (coughs) to bring about peace uh, in the midst of war, it fails, but uh, Zachary does ingratiate himself with Lincoln. He is able to do what Jews call Pidyon Shvuyim, he's able to rescue people who are, jailed for smuggling or for other crimes mm-hmm. uh and so the jewish community comes to like Issachar Zachary as a kind of friend yeah. at court yeah. and Issachar Zachary Is works, a macher,
0: basically. works
2: hard a m- in 1864 for Abraham Lincoln's reelection, right. and works hard in the Jewish community it's really the first time we see a strong campaign effort right um although in also, also in community.
0: the first um elections uh, of lincoln uh you mentioned i think in the book that lincoln uh, saw the potential mm-hmm. in all kinds of minorities that no one looked upon then up, at, right. up until then right right so what was the jewish uh, role in having him elected in the first time
2: well uh, it's actually Abraham Jonas, I think, uh, who um, suggests that Lincoln should create a coalition, and he gives a whole group, including uh, these liberal immigrants and um, uh, and others, and, In- and, and the old some of the old Whigs, and also the Israelites, which is amazing. Uh, that he suggested it, and uh, we do see Abraham Lincoln working, um, he does a lot of work trying to persuade Germans uh, to support him in 1860, and some of those Germans, of course, are Jews, and uh, it is very much a coalition of different kinds of groups that they're trying to build into a, a new Republican coalition. That's how American politics works. Uh, a yeah. hundred years later, Franklin Roosevelt is going to put together a new coalition for the Democrats. That's, it's always been that way, and Lincoln was very, very good pioneering in that sense uh yeah he was a very good politician
1: even beforehand jonas is the one who is the first one at least that we know that suggested to lincoln to to even run for the presidency
2: jonas plays a big role exactly in uh in talking up lincoln he's very impressed uh, with him Talk to the mic he finds you him, can adjust it as, he as, finds him as, to be a brilliant orator and understands uh, Lincoln's skills as an orator mm-hmm. and um, uh, when they were all sitting around thinking who should we put up as the Republican candidate there is it's a published uh, recollection that it was Abraham Jonas who suggested Uh, Lincoln's name. Uh, That makes perfect sense. They're in the same state. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And we know that uh, Jonas also um, uh, plays a role in bringing Abraham Lincoln in to speak. And he then hosts one of the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Uh, He is a booster uh, of Abraham Lincoln in right. a big way. Which
0: is amazing because you, th- you see that um, a kind of karma that uh, the more that Lincoln believed and developed his relationships with Jews throughout his life, the more it came back to him in very, very good means and, and influenced his life, you know? so well, it seems from reading the book because i must say that also in the book it's not only text it's there are lots and lots and lots of documents mm-hmm. amazing documents in high quality and the book is quite big so you can browse through them and and feel history in your hand and, and just be in that mm. room when lincoln writes yeah one of the things notes. that
1: hit me was i mean maybe we're jumping i'm jumping ahead here but the the picture of the letter um i think it was written by the, do- the doctor's account of after Lincoln was assassinated, and you see bloodstains, and you yeah. write there that these are very likely blood the blood of Abraham Lincoln, which yeah. is
2: fascinating. Well, of course, what's amazing, and really, again, not really known, is that one of the central doctors who attends Lincoln after his assassination a is, Jewish. again, a Jew, um, uh, but really what happens In the Civil War, if we can go back, is Mm -hmm. once the war breaks out, of course, government expands enormously. You need a big army. You need all sorts of people to be appointed. And Lincoln unhesitatingly uh, appoints Jews. And in one letter, it's one of the most amazing letters to me, he actually says we have not yet appointed a Hebrew as if uh, there's an Elect. affirmative action program yeah. uh, for Jews, and uh, he goes ahead and appoints a very Jewish Jew, an Orthodox Jew.
0: Um, and how does he refer, if we're talking about his writings, how does he refer to Jews uh, in his writings? And
2: um, At different times, you can see Lincoln using... The terms Jews, Hebrews, and Israelites, all the three um, terms. Um, what amazed me is that Lincoln over and over uses the words their countrymen about Jews. Now, Jews didn't have a country, but it shows that Lincoln viewed them as a people. And since there wasn't a word to describe their fellow Jews, he calls them your countrymen when yes. when he wants and to serve them. There's also
0: a very touching uh, sentence when he says, I myself, how does he put it? Uh, uh, I have a regard for the Jews.
2: High regard, right? And that's really said to a, a Christian. What's the context? Yeah. Uh, the, the context there is he's uh, visited by a Christian who imagined himself to be the Messiah. And... Mm. Um, he won. I mean, Lincoln had all sorts of visitors. Weirdos. That's and, well, we gotta and, talk about it also. Have, he used to have
0: office hours, and yeah, uh, yeah. it's amazing that well, when you read the book. It seems like everyone could go and
2: just meet the president uh, back then. in a funny way. Until I mean, you know, until he was assassinated, it was much more open. Just like here in Israel, um, you could meet the prime minister on the street on Shabbat, and then innocence was lost after the Robin assassination, so was in America. And uh, Washington was a small city. In any case, this <laughs> m- this sort of Messiah dressed like Jesus, really, with a long beard. We have a picture of him in the book. And naturally, Lincoln wanted to meet such a character. And he's come to persuade Lincoln uh, really to let the Jews... Come back to the Holy Land. Let my people L- Lincoln go. Lincoln had a few other things on his mind in the middle of the Civil War, uh, <laughs> so he doesn't take this too seriously. Uh, nor is he interested in this messiah's view on how to end the war. But in he which is, is does it, oh, he got a long, um, uh, a complicated idea of uh, tech involving Texas and other. <laughs> uh, but um what he does make this nice comment which you quoted that uh, you know his doctor his foot doctor was a jew and he would therefore be very happy uh, to give the jews a leg up and who knows after the war we can start uh, creating a kind of messianic world which many of them a kind of heaven on earth would lead to the coming of the Messiah. And the interesting thing is, you know, he's talking to a religious figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uses lots of biblical language mm-hmm. there. But I think it does show uh, that Lincoln had a high regard for Jews. That's what mm-hmm. he says. And I think that's what his actions prove. I uh, I wonder if,
1: I'm not sure if you mentioned this in the book, but I, uh, a question that popped up. Was uh, the emanc not the Emancipation Proclamation? The Thirteenth Amendment eventually mm-hmm. w- was passed before his after his reelection, but before his inauguration. If I'm if I'm correct, I wonder what role if there was a role played by Jews in passing that in the politics behind the scene.
2: You know, the Thirteenth Amendment. There's a wonderful feeling. It's the focus of the Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, film that's largely a congressional um, challenge. We know uh, that Lincoln was a master politician, and even though he hadn't spent long in Congress, he knew exactly how to push the right buttons to get Congress to act. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were a few people of, we might say, Jewish descent in Congress, Uh, whom Lincoln knew, but much more important it seems to me is how Lincoln changes the chaplaincy bill. Initially, when the chaplaincy, military chaplaincy is created, it's created uh, for Christians. You have to be Mm -hmm. a minister of some Christian denomination. Well, suddenly you've got seven to ten thousand Jews in the military, um, and... Well uh, beyond their proportion. Yeah, uh... and and, and, uh, and Jews feel that they are discriminated against because they are. Um, and uh, indeed, one of these units elects a Jew, and the Secretary of War has to say, look, he doesn't fit the rules. He's not a minister of some Christian denomination. Jews actually come directly and complain to Abraham Lincoln, and... Um, The amazing thing is that Lincoln figures out a way to get Congress to amend that bill. That's not easy because, after all, it's a majority Christian country. Not easy to change a bill that says a chaplain has to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. But Lincoln put his immense political skills to work and said, oh, we're not going to change the language. We're just going to construe the word Christian to mean religious. Mm -hmm. Most people, I'm sure, didn't know what that meant, but from a legal point of view, it meant some religious denomination, and then Lincoln acts. He appoints the first Jewish chaplain, and from that day to this day, people of any faith can be chaplains in the United Mm -hmm. States military, and that all goes back to Lincoln's immense skill at changing a bill Without um, wi- without it costing Congress people their jobs, mm-hmm. uh, and in a way that would be satisfactory to all sides. S- so yeah, you write
1: ahead. about uh, the J- Lincoln's first acquaintance with a Jew, and you you spend some time in the book on that. And when exactly was it, and who was it, and how we can't really know. When, when was your first acquaintance with Lincoln?
2: Well. My first acquaintance, anyone who grows yeah. up in America knows... Where did you grow up? I, I, I grew up in the United States, and anybody, I mean, even as a child, when I was a child in school, Lincoln's birthday was still a holiday. Eventually, they merged Lincoln and Washington into President's Day, but in my day, it was, a, it was there, and any, I think, American today will learn about Lincoln, and I think... Abraham Lincoln, especially in the northern states, uh, is a very significant role model. Uh, in the for, South, there's for still ma- bit blood? Uh... Uh, well, I think I mean, what was amazing this year is that both of the presidential candidates, who, as you recall, didn't agree on much, but they all agreed on Abraham Lincoln as a great role model and both quoted Lincoln and so on, and I think that today in the United States, Lincoln is one of those central icons. I have to say, as someone who spent a couple of years reading Lincoln letters, Lincoln is astonishing. Uh, one might say in Hebrew, meaning the outer Lincoln, the Lincoln, Um, that other people saw is the same... Reflects entirely. Is the same Lincoln you read in his letters. Uh, He's a man with a very deep ethical sense, a man who agonized over issues, um, a man who tried to treat everybody as an individual. Uh, I, I think anyone who studies Lincoln comes away elevated, and that's probably why... There are more books about Abraham Lincoln than about any other single American, mm-hmm. um, because he is such a role model. But amazingly, there would never been a good book, or really any real book, on Lincoln and the Jews. Right, and that's really the hole mm-hmm. uh, that we filled.
1: Uh-huh. So, when did you when did you first approach the subject? How did your fascination grow?
2: Well, I'd actually um, done a book on. Another president, Ulysses S. Grant, mm-hmm. who actually expelled Jews from his war zone in the Civil War. Deported. Uh, I mean, just ordered them out of his war zone. Jews as a class, he said, the mm-hmm. very opposite of Lincoln. And um, Lincoln overturned that order as soon as he heard about it. And then what's so interesting is how, Abraham, uh, is how Ulysses S. Grant becomes president. And in a sense... Um, uh, becomes, uh, right, he regrets it. He uh, atones for that sin and and eventually gets lots of Jewish friends. And by the time Grant dies, Jews are um, very positive towards him. Um, and I was lecturing around the United States on Ulysses S. Grant. I did a book. And this man, Benjamin Chappelle, says, I want to talk to you. And comes to see me and explains that he has this collection and how important it is that there be a book, and I was hooked.
0: You uh, didn't know. I didn't the extent.
2: I didn't know the extent at all.
0: That's amazing. You were already a well-respected yeah. historian, and you read some books about it. you. You were, and yet
2: you didn't realize the depth. I, I knew something about it. I wrote uh, something about it in my big book on American Judaism. Yeah. But like any subject, well, until you really get into it and yeah. look at the documents, you don't know it. So yeah. And uh, then, and the best thing was, Benjamin Chappelle owned a treasure, a treasure of documents. And then we also, of course, went through the great collection of Lincoln papers that are the Library of Congress and other Lincoln collections, and tried to bring everything connected and really, to Lincoln and the Jews as, together. As
0: I read the book, I felt that beyond the stories, the most important thing about the book is the collection. That's what I felt, that I, I'm, I'm exposed to something really, really unique, that someone uh, mm-hmm. put life and, and, of course, capital, in it so i was wondering what's the story with this
2: Chappelle? how did how did he have come to to have this collection it's it's amazing well i mean you have to ask him uh, but uh, he is he writes a little bit about himself as a collector it's a great american story meaning his father came here as a refugee from the holocaust to israel oh uh, no came to the, to the sorry, united, states. To the united states. Yeah. states came to california uh, mm. uh, as a refugee and According to what uh, Mr. Chappelle tells me, he was interested in primary, rare documents, even as a fairly, uh, as a child, and was entranced by them. And his father, as an immigrant to America, was tremendously excited about America and some of its heroes. And uh, that's, uh, you know, what Ben decided to devote his life uh, to doing and i have to say and until you see a collector in action you don't realize how hard the work is it is a full-time job He still collects scurry yeah he still does you read catalogs you try and find out what's available and your goal is to find documents often that other people don't appreciate or understand Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you realize they're great did he tell you
0: mm-hmm. a, a cool story of how he happened to find a rare piece of... Uh, yeah, he,
2: he certainly had had found... I mean, there were documents... In flea markets and in... Uh, where he taught... You know, people thought, oh, it's just valuable because it's Abraham Lincoln's signature. Right. And they didn't realize the Jewish significance. Because he collects only Jewish-related Lincoln memorabilia? Um, that's the core of the collection he has some very significant how general, many items i don't know okay. he has um some very significant general lincolniana mm-hmm. um uh, because he came so to revere lincoln and his is one of the great private collections of lincoln materials in mm-hmm. the world mm-hmm. uh and he knows um, all of the great museums and so on. Yeah, and we, you know, there was a wonderful exhibit uh, connected with this ex- with this volume uh, that was shown at New York Historical Society and had a huge audience. Uh, Lincoln is still someone whom American Jews uh, revere. So how did
1: you piece together the stories? I mean, does he have it already kind of, does he already uh, group them, categorize them according to a narrative, and he says, okay, these are all from, or according to characters, or or no, did you that, guys sit?
2: that was my doing. Um, my job was to take these documents and turn them into a narrative, turn mm-hmm. them into a book, and actually it was my suggestion that this be a biography, meaning that we take Lincoln from his birth to his death, move chronologically, but do it through Jewish eyes. Meaning in every era, I'm looking at the Jewish angles. Mm -hmm. Since there are thousands and thousands of books on Lincoln, To have one that looks at Lincoln through Jewish eyes seemed to me in order. And uh, that allowed us to tell a story. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to tell the story of Lincoln uh, in that way. And um, I think there are people who have read just the words and have said, yes, it's interesting. I couldn't wouldn't have imagined Mm -hmm. that you could tell the story of Lincoln and the Jews in such an interesting way. And uh, what I also wanted to show was that you can begin that story almost as soon as Lincoln is born because he's learning about Jews, he's using textbooks, and then you can introduce these different Jews, some of them very uh, important like Jonas and Zachary, and others more fleeting, like some of the people he appointed, but really show and some of them all w- of the connections. Some of yeah. them
1: more fatal, which, I mean, it, it's unclear if he actually has any Jewish ancestry, but towards the end of the book, you bring up the, the, the story of uh, uh, John Wilkes Booth. Yeah. And he has some Jewish ancestry? or
2: you know, Give us I some hope. Come and, on, and Professor. John, and John, what was interesting to me, and here is where I was trying to find everything and put it in, and you're absolutely right. There were people who said, oh, don't write that. But John Wilkes Booth's father, not Booth himself, John Wilkes Booth, John, uh, Booth's father was a very famous actor, he told people that he had kind of Jewish blood mm-hmm. uh, in his veins. He certainly had a lot of Jewish friends, and he seems to have known some Hebrew. Um, there is no real evidence to support the idea that he, uh, which is a romantic idea, that he went back to Spain, uh, but he's an actor after all. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of actors, even in day. Uh, He was interested in being noticed, in being respected, in being a character. Uh, John Wilkes Booth also had some Jewish friends, Mm -hmm. um, and Jews were quite significant both in the theater and as supporters of theater Mm -hmm. in. And Lincoln actually
0: went also to
2: Jewish-themed plays. That's that's some of the most interesting stuff. I until I did this research. I had no idea how many Jewish-themed plays there were, and, uh, you know, plays on the Mortara Affair, uh, an event in Europe about the uh, uh, kidnapping, really, of, uh, of, of a Jew who's forcibly converted to Catholicism and brought up in the church. And in a sense, that becomes, in its American telling, Strangely an allegory in part for slavery and other stories about Jewish suffering and Lincoln, who I think is sympathetic to all kinds of suffering, <clears throat> is going to those uh, going to those plays. Part of what you see here is the emergence of Jews on the American scene. Mm-hmm. when there are 3,000 Jews in 1820, very few people know a Jew. By Lincoln's day, most people know some Jews, and Jews are becoming more and more significant, and that's what gives this story uh, importance, not just for Lincoln, but for America as a whole, which, after all, is going to become uh, the great diaspora center uh, of the Jewish
0: people. But, but is there any hope that he was one of ours, Lincoln? <laughs> give us something, uh, yeah, yeah, give us that, something to, uh, right, that this question to write home of, about. Uh, this, of
2: course, <laughs> this question, of course, was asked all the time um, uh, on lecture tours, and after all, with a name like Abraham, uh, there's, uh, Lincoln didn't know much about his ancestors uh, because his grandfather had been murdered by Indians. So even if one were to discover some Jewish blood, he didn't know that. But
0: you say there is a reference to the, a testimony. certainly...
2: Were, uh, the great reform rabbi, Isaac Mayer-Wise, claimed that he was Jewish, Lincoln's. But Lincoln so, said that he believes he has something so like he that. Qu- yeah. Isaac Mayer-Wise quoted him. A Lincoln's you... son rather diplomatically said, <laughs> I never heard that from yeah. my father. Um, and indeed, a rabbi who was actually much closer to Lincoln than Isaac Mayer-Wise, his name was Benjamin Zold. The father of Henrietta Zold, the founder of Hadassah, also uh, said it wasn't true. I think sometimes uh, uh, Jews imagine that anybody who's good to Jews, it yeah. must be because he has Jewish blood in his veins. It makes us feel also, so good about
0: ourselves. You so.
1: also paint Rabbi Isaac Mayer Wise a little bit as like a, this bombastic kind of. Uh, I mean, it, it makes sense that he would uh, that he would make these claims.
2: I think uh, that Wise often claimed that someone good was a Jew. Never claimed that someone
0: yeah. wicked and
2: bad was a Jew. He wouldn't have accepted, you know, Booth. But he, uh, yeah, um, uh, and he was willing to. And someone was good. Uh, any shred of evidence, he would say, yeah, probably one of ours. <laughs> uh, but uh, look, what it doesn't he, matter in the end of the day. What, what matters is he, what
0: he's done for the Jews, what right? What he's
2: done, uh, the fact that he had all these contacts for Jews, and and I, he cherished. And them. I take the key moments, the fact that when Jews are discriminated against in the chaplaincy, Lincoln works to undo it. When Jews are expelled from Ulysses S. Grant's war zone, Lincoln reverses the order. Even though Link, uh, Lincoln was one of Grant's great champions, those things I take to be deeply significant. Much mm-hmm. more so um, uh, than you know, just straight comments. You learn mm-hmm. about people from their actions, and this man's and the actions are pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Okay, so we got to wrap things up. Um, the book is called Lincoln and the Jews. As I said, this is a must-have at every Jewish household. Absolutely. Uh, and also, it's beautiful. You, you put it on your coffee table, it's, it's pride, mm-hmm. right? Um,
2: and it's now out in Hebrew translation It has in well. Hebrew
0: translation. You can get it on Amazon, basically, the English version and the Hebrew version in the, in the stores in Israel. I have to say, it's not a book that's
1: very comfortable to ride around on buses and read. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I, I was expecting something small, you know, but I do a lot of my reading on, you know, public mm-hmm. transportation and I was carrying around this big book <laughs> and people yeah. were looking at me like, what is this guy doing? Yeah, well, but it pays off. But um, it's, it's a beautiful book and yes, it's fascinating.
0: And uh, an uh, amazing you. job, Professor uh, Serna and also to Mr. Chappelle for his uh, lifelong uh, achievement of collecting this these things. Just before we, we go uh, a few uh, little um, notes first of all we're on Facebook Mm -hmm. Uh, please follow us on Facebook please follow us on Twitter Uh, go to our website which is Uh, 2njb.com I almost forgot yes and we're on (laughs) iTunes so if you want to listen just subscribe on iTunes it's very very easy and last but not least uh, this is the first episode that we air uh, as part of our cooperation with the Jewish journals Journal of Greater Los Angeles um, it's so a great honor they we're on their
1: site if you look under blogs our podcast is there and if you search on Google uh, Two Nice Jewish Boys
0: Jewish Journal you'll find us there yes and we're very proud uh, and we hope uh, it will continue and be a great corporation and we want to thank Daniel Byrne for uh, helping us uh, getting there thank you Daniel and I think that is it Eitan it's been a pleasure Professor Serena thank you thank you thank you very much Bye!